freedom and censorship can't exist in the same world. And that's true whether it's the government or private corporations who do the censoring. Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, and welcome to the Coleman Nation podcast. It's a show where I sit down with guests to discuss the future of free expression and thought in our interconnected world. Here, we will focus on issues involving social media, cancel culture, and free expression that everybody who cares about ideas or freedom should be wrestling with. Hello, culminators. Thanks again for joining us. This is going to be a very interesting conversation with a very interesting man named Eric Smith. And it's a shame if you haven't heard about him yet, but I think that you will be hearing a lot more about him. He is involved with a, what I will call, and he'll, he'll correct me if I'm wrong, but an academic and I think a social, social and cultural movement um, in, in the world of anti-racism, or in this case, arguably anti-anti-racism. Uh, he's, he's an associate professor of rhetoric, so don't try any funny business, at York University in Pennsylvania. And like me, I have just learned he is a fellow New Jersey man. So thank you for joining us, Professor Smith, Eric Smith. Thanks for having me. You, uh, you have some very interesting stuff going on out there. Um, and, and to a large extent, the, the, the handful of people or so who, who watch this podcast are probably fairly familiar with, with the issues of what's going on with wokeness and anti-racism. And in fact, I have had on the, on the program um, some of the leading lights in the popular culture of people who are criticizing these, movement, these movements. Uh, James Lindsay, um, long, young guys like um, um, Adam Coleman, and of course, James McWhorter, I've, I've not had him on my show, and I don't think he'll ever acknowledge my existence, but my, my wife wrote a very interesting book review about his very interesting book. Um, what, I what I would like to start out with, though, is, is, is for you to give a sense to um, our audience of what it is you probably understand I'm talking about, the Heterodox Academy mm. and the work that, you know, that you're doing in Black Thoughts. Um, I think people are, will really be interested in knowing what, what's, what's out there and where you're coming from. Well, there are various ways to start that conversation or, or answer that question. So I'm just going to randomly pick one and hopefully spread out and, and touch on everything else. Um, when, about three years ago, I realized uh, in academia, specifically my field of uh, rhetoric and composition, uh, that there was a very illiberal movement going on that many people call quote unquote woke. Um, what happened uh, was that a, there was a keynote address at a conference uh, and this, uh, the point of this address was that, um, you know, expecting uh, students of color to uh, write standard English or have certain habits of mind was inherently racist. Um, and you know, uh, the, the white people in the room need to know that uh, they are inherently racist in a lot of ways. In fact, he used the term suffocated by whiteness when he talked about students of color in the classroom. So I went on a listserv and said, uh, was that the best idea? You know, is, should we really be saying this about our students and each other? And the backlash started everything. Were you, this is before, were you, were you at York then or were you at an institution that I was at York. named? I was at your college. Okay. Uh -huh. But I, nothing else was going on really. Uh, I, Free Black Thought, which I'll talk about momentarily, uh, Heterodox. Free Black Thought. Um, I, I, I was a part of that, but I wasn't, you know, um, really into it. And when that happened, I realized, okay, I got to do something because for the most part, I'm the only one speaking up. And if they treated a black person like this, you know, then uh, very other, many other people don't have a chance, right? So, so let me I, get this straight. When you, when you say you're the only one speaking up, you mean at York? 
No, 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 no. no. York's fine. York's fine. Uh, your college, yeah, yeah. That, that's fine. My field. Oh, in the, fi oh, in the field of, of rhetoric and composition. Yes. Yes. Um, so, I mean, there are people who chime in here and there, right? But they don't, and understandably so, they don't want to deal with all this mess. Yeah. Right? So, I figure uh, the onus is on me to do it. I'm, you know, I'm an associate professor now, not an assistant. So I have some job security there. And I decided to, you know, really shift my, my career a bit. I was working on a book that I totally, not totally, but mostly revamped after this incident to reflect the incident and uh, the problems so that people can know what's going on. I also uh, became the moderator of Heterodox Ret Comp, um, which is, you know, a place uh, where you can, you know, voice your opinions without being mobbed on social media uh, regarding things in the field. I and, that, also, and that's, yes. that's for academics primarily, right? Primarily, yes. Yeah. Yes. And I ended up co-founding something called Free Black Thought. Now, this is a website and online journal dedicated to showcasing viewpoint diversity within the uh, African-American clerisy, for lack of a better uh, term. So not all Black people think the same. They don't vote the same. All right, they don't have the same hopes and dreams. They don't have the same fears, right? And they don't have the same sensibilities when it comes to insults and, 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 and things like that. And unfortunately, a lot of people think that's not the case. They think all black people are the same. So what this field, what this uh, website does and journal is showcase that no, black people are not the same. They have viewpoints that aren't really represented in the mainstream media. So we're gonna represent them here. And uh, we also have a journal uh, that's had some prominent voices, Gwen Lowry, uh, George Yancey, yeah, and um, that's going well. And that's basically what, uh, what I'm all about these days. Well, that's a lot. And, that's, and, and it gives us plenty to talk about because it is a cer certainly in the, in the current political environment, it's just about as heterodox as you could as you could want to be. I mean, one of the things that, that I learned from James Lindsay was that race was the wedge issue that that got Marxist, not Marxism, but the Marxist approach or Marxian approach to, to, to critical everything into academia and resulted in, in this contempt for, tr for traditional academic concepts of problem solving and, and searching for truth. Uh, because there was a, a bona fide race problem in this country. And it was something that, the, that it, here James explained it, it makes actually comports with my understanding of history. Um, that was decided by the, uh, by the, the communist party in the Soviet Union, and obviously with its friends here, to be a, a, an area that they would constantly pound on, because it was one of the few where, the, where US society could not really point proudly to how it was doing compared to communism, which didn't really have a race issue. Mm -hmm. um, and here you are now, 70 years later, in academia, and not with, notwithstanding what, what would obviously, by any objective measure, have to be regarded as phenomenal progress compared to the 1950s. Yeah. There, the whole tenor and the whole approach of what we do in of, of what academia has become seems to reflect a completely upside down world. You must feel very fortunate to be at a place that, at York where you say they're, they're, they're pretty good. Yeah, yeah, it is pretty good here. And I realize how fortunate uh, I am. But I mean, every school at one point was pretty good until it wasn't, right? So I have to stay vigilant uh, regarding that. Yeah, you know, I, had, I had Robert George on here a year and a half ago. Maybe it was a year ago. And he was 
pretty much crowing about how they had pushed back on the Joshua Katz issue, which again is not the race issue per se, but it's all the same. I, I think yeah. we, you'd have to agree that it's the same phenomenon of intolerance and, and, you know, sort of a cultural revolution kind of approach to, to deal, to dealing with people and, 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 and with dissent. Um, well, you mentioned uh, Marxist thought uh, and you, you alluded to the Frankfurt school for a good century. Um, cultural Marxists have been using people of color, specifically black people for their purposes. And it's not just uh, Herbert Marcuse in the 60s who looked at you know black people and said we don't we don't need to convince white people to join the proletariat, you know they're already pissed at the world, they're already upset with the uh, the country and things like that and the way things are. Let's just ride that. Trotsky, Leon Trotsky, uh, did the same thing. You know he, he said it, the the white proletariat is nothing compared to the black people who could really lead the charge. I thought Marcuse you know? was actually said that it's going too well. America has a middle class, which yeah. Marx hadn't really counted on. And it, it acts as a buffer between, yeah. it, to, that prevents class consciousness from really forming. But we don't have that in the, in, in, in the, in the black world in America because there's, there's such a small and brittle middle class. And there, there's, the, you know, there's our right. target. Right. There's and, 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 and plus there are these great liberal impulses that we can play on in the faculty lounges. People do want to do the right thing. Yeah, right. There is this general sense of Americans are in favor of fair play. And gosh, we won World War II. What does that mean we stand for? And from that springs the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. All yeah. right. But then here we are. Right. So Free Black Thought, are you, are you one of the co-founders of Free Black yes. Thought? Yes. Yes. And when, when was that created? Uh, two years ago. So this is a, fa a fairly fresh initiative. Yes. Have you what what kind of pushback have you gotten? Um, for for that, not much, you know, because that's a that's a sticky situation for them, you know. Uh, uh, here's a black person who's uh, speaking his truth about diversity of thought and things like that, and they tend to stay away from from that situation. Some people will, you know, call it out, quote unquote as being uh, ultra conservative, which it's very much is not, right? Um, but other than that, which is a, you know, erroneous charge, we haven't really gotten much pushback. You know, I get more pushback on the individual level from uh, other scholars in my field. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that not gratuitous stuff, obviously, I don't have to tell you that, but give, give, if you would give us a sense of what we wouldn't just merely guess at, which is that you're not a favorite at certain conferences. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm not a favorite. Uh, <laughs> it, it's uh, well, because I, I don't back down. I am a person of color. Right. And the things I say are reasonable, you know, <laughs> relative to uh, the things that my opponents are saying. Well, not only are the things you say reasonable, I, I watched a, a, a YouTube um, presentation that you gave, I think it was for the Heterodox Academy. Mm -hmm. It was 24 minutes long. And I said, this guy is obviously, yes, this was New Paradigms. No, that wasn't New Paradigms. It was... Um, a Critique of Anti-Racism in Rhetoric. Uh, yes, yes, yes. And I said, Eric sounds like all of them. In other words, you you absolutely have, you're working entirely within the paradigms, the academic paradigms that are established in this field. I'm seeing you, I, I'm hearing, and I don't claim to be an expert in it, but in a, in a way, even more than I think John McWhorter, you're who I think stands outside of it to, to some extent in terms of his critique, or at least in, in, in last year's book, in this video, you use a lot of that sort, a lot of the terminology and again, the, the paradigms of anti-racism and, and critical legal studies and to a large, and, and neutrally, in, in many respects, you were, 
you know, you, you, you acknowledge that there are things that we have learned from critical legal studies. I'm sorry, critical racial, critical race theory. Yeah. Um, so when it, it may, I would imagine that the fact that you're, you're not standing outside of this particular silo in the academy and saying, you know, you guys are just, you're just slinging bullshit. This is just like, you're just finding ways to rationalize some kind of big power grab. But on the, you're, you right. seem to really be intellectually engaging and using this sort of uh, analysis that actually should work from the point, from their point, from the point of view of the people who don't, don't agree with you. Yeah. Well, you know, yes, I, I understand what you're saying. And, and I've, I've said this a lot, you know, my uh, many, too many of my colleagues in the field aren't rhetoric professors who are doing social justice activism. They're social justice activists doing rhetoric, which is a very different thing, right? They, uh, and um, I forget, somebody wrote an article a couple of weeks ago and I, I'm flanking on his name, uh, but he basically called this out too. And he said, um, especially the field of rhetoric and composition is kind of like a Trojan horse situation. Right. I'm going to go here, get my degree in rhetoric and not teach rhetoric at all. I'm going to teach uh, my version of what social justice should be. And you speak of Marxism earlier. Uh, the person uh, who gave the speech that I talked about at the beginning of this interview is a card carrying Marxist. He will tell you proudly and for as long as you will listen. <laughs> right. That uh, he is a Marxist. And if you go back to uh, 100 years ago, 102 years ago, Lenin talking about education and saying, you know, communism is the alpha and the omega of education. Yeah, we may teach math, but math insofar as it can help us buttress communism. History insofar as it can help us buttress communism. And that's going on today. In fact, if you, uh, and I just told somebody else this, the, uh, if you replaced communism in Lenin's speech with anti-racism, sounds a lot like Ibram X. Kendi. It sounds a lot like Robin DiAngelo. Sure, sure, absolutely. You know? uh, and, and yeah. And, 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 all, and by virtue of both of them essentially being statements of religious faith, mm -hmm. there's a real limit, notwithstanding that, you know, you have mastered the terminology and the analytical frameworks that are, that you're criticizing, which is the least you can do when you criticize a field. Yeah. Um, to some to some extent, I guess. Um, there's still a a um, point at which, no matter what you say, it's not going. It simply isn't going to matter because it's it's not really a discussion. I mean, do do you think? Who, who, who are you talking to? Are you talking to fellow academic? Like when that, that, that Marxist who loves to talk about his, his faith to you, like, like any true evangelical, um, is he listening to you or is, he, is, is that a one-way conversation? Um, that's a one-way conversation, but I stopped talking to them a long time ago. Um, when I do talk to them, I'm using them as a catalyst who are speaking, you know, uh, my thoughts to, to, to the people who are listening in. Oh, yeah, I understand right? that. As somebody who spends too much time, uh, I, I still am stung by a comment that my former prof professor and friend, Sean Wilentz, made to me about what a waste of time Twitter is. But it's a very important part of, of the work that I do in mm -hmm. a sort of social activism. And people often say to me, why are you responding to this guy? He's not, he's nothing. He's, I said, no, I'm not, I have no interest in trying to convince this person right. or anything, but I have 200,000 people who are watching to see what I have to, I mean, that's an opportunity for me to frame things right. and, you know, and, and draw out, draw, draw out the point. So I understand that. So, so then who are, so it's the people who are listening and that might be in other words, at, at a, at a speaking event or in your writing and, you know, whatever, what things that you publish. Yeah, and the people who are still on the fence about things, the people who are a little confused about what's going on, the people who think they must be missing something because this isn't making sense, I'm talking to them and, and letting them know uh, through modeling pushback as well as my words 
that you know you're not missing anything it doesn't make sense you know and and they know it doesn't make sense the point isn't to make sense the point is to uh acquire power right as much power as yes. possible and i mean that is that can't be more apparent than in the field of rhetoric because we are about communication and they refuse to communicate right um you can't rhetoric doesn't make sense in a world where there's just one way of looking at things that doesn't make sense rhetoric is about different ideas and somebody trying to persuade other people of his or her idea so let's yeah. take let's take a step back you know because what because what you just described sounds to me as a lawyer as a description of the socratic method mm -hmm. what is the study of rhetoric because i believe that when i was in college there was, if there was a course on rhetoric, I, I didn't know about it, but there certainly wasn't a discipline or a department. Um, what is it, how, how, does, how does a guy like you find himself there? Well, at, at one point in the history of humanity, rhetoric and, you know, you know jurisprudence were, uh, were combined, you know? Right. So the lawyers had to take uh, courses in this. Uh, those days are gone, obviously. Um, but rhetoric is still very important because we all use it, whether we know the definition of it or not. The definition, and I'm, I always go to Aristotle, the definition of rhetoric is the ability to uh, discern in any given situation the available means of persuasion. And what that means is, you know, uh, if you're talking, if you're trying to uh, convince people that they should buy your new line of vodka, you're going to speak differently to a fraternity than you are to a bunch of church ladies, right? <laughs> right. Right. So, so certain things, certain metaphors, certain references are available to you and certain ones are not. So discerning that and speaking accordingly is uh, to respect rhetoric. That's the simple definition of it. Is it allied to the, I mean, I know that rhetoric, as you mentioned, was historically something that all educated people yeah. studied. Is it allied with the more um, contemporary um, field of, what am I thinking of? Um, it's the study of symbolism. Um, semantics? Semiology? Semiology, that's right. Okay. Yeah. I mean, yeah, there's, there's overlap. There's overlap with social linguistics. You know, uh, there's, uh, there's overlap with uh, English literature and, and, and literary criticism. You know, there's a, there's a lot of overlap uh, that, that rhetoric has with various fields because, well, it's about communication and all those fields have to communicate. And you're, uh, really, and, and you're really getting to the heart of the matter because one of, one of the techniques of Marxian power, you know, what is it called? The power acquisition is, and this is a big topic with Mick, with McWhorter, obviously, changing the definition of semantics and words and meaning so that it is either in, it's either impossible to dispute a proposition because you have defined its opposite out of existence or you are you, you simply refuse to acknowledge the existence of contrary propositions you know in a in a way that's the it's antithetical to again the socratic approach of positing alternatives and exploring them whether they're realistic or not um it's so this is the the nature of the of of the of the of the rhetoric that we see in the woke world mm. is anyone so you're coming from this traditional place of let's understand how i mean is it fair to say that there's also a sort of um um linguistic concept that human brains think a certain way in order to be understood in order to communicate we have to acknowledge that we can't for example this is not a great example i don't know what a woman is i'm not a biologist 
okay, we're going to simply, we're going to completely change everything you know, everything, everything you know about how the world works. Mm -hmm. And as you say, because communism demands it, because wokeness demands it, we're going to, we're going to change genetics, we're going to change biology. How can you use a an intellectual discipline to overcome a movement or a cultural trend and an academic trend that is by definition doesn't accept first principles of objective truth and or assert or how truth is how you, how you search for truth or 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 again how how human brains comprehend propositions and analyze them does that make question make sense yeah um so there are various answers to that question and they all overlap so uh, i'll just start with uh the one that's at the forefront of my mind right now and that is reminding people of the tenets of classical liberalism you know uh, why we embrace equality why we embrace freedom of speech uh why we embrace uh, individuality and uh, the right to say no, you know, and, and, and things like that. And, and, and explaining that, you know, those things came about so that we can be as fulfilled as possible, so that we can have the right and ability for life, liberty, and happiness, right? Um, so I would do that, just remind people of that. And then I would point out, expose the, um, the woke, Right. Uh, Let me just ask you: your the audience that you have in mind now when you're explaining this is it is it a, a student audience? Is it young people? It's everyone. It's everyone. Yes. Everyone seeking truth and answers and understanding. Yes. Okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Please. No, no, no problem. Um, when you talked about people redefining terms, right, and um, you know not acknowledging the fact that there is a redefinition, right redefining a term and pretending this has always been the term, right? Or this always should have been the term. Uh, that is um, an attempt to confuse, right? It's an attempt to dizzy people because dizzy people are easier to knock down, right? Dizzy people are easier to manipulate and control. For example, changing the definition of racism to something that can only come from white people <laughs> and not something that black people can do right? If you really wanted to make your point to an audience, you would use adjectives, right? Uh, there's there's uh, hegemonic racism and counter-hegemonic racism. There's uh, traditional racism, and then there's, uh, you know, um, contemporary racism in which Black people can, you know, you, you, would, you would explain it like that. The fact that they would change a definition of a term, not tell people, and when they get it wrong, yell at them, <laughs> Right? That is proof that they're trying to confuse you. They have no interest in actually explaining things. They want power. And if they can knock you down, they can build things back up in the, the world they want. So just pointing that out, pointing the obvious out, right? That is a, that's a fantastic, I love that point about, ad, about the use of adjectives because I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer, I'm a writer, I have to express, expressing myself is, I'm a podcaster, expressing myself as a, and I, I'm married to a writer, we talk about, you know, we're marking each other's papers up all the time. Yeah. And that's just, just an incredibly powerful point. When you, language that is, that is devoid of adjectives, that's, that's a tell. Right. Too many adjectives is also tough because 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 then because then, then it's then your then your language is then your expression is 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 uh, is too flexible because you're not telling I want to know concreteness I want nouns and I want to know action who really did what and yeah. if you keep telling me something was outrageous and something was or something was racist what was the like one of my big issues I'm not in any way imputing any political meaning to you but. I was a Trump supporter, and when he was a president, and I still am, whatever it is he's doing now, I'm sure he, I support his golf game. Um, I would always try to get people, including my own mom, what was, what was the action, what was the policy of Donald Trump that you disagree with? I hate him. He's terrible. He's, a, t show me, don't, 
show me don't tell me okay a little bit of a little bit of a but too many adjectives is bad but no adjectives is telling you that that someone is trying to confuse i guess it's a, it's it's a, it's a, it's a categorization exercise okay yeah. and they're, they're moving there's you know they're, they're sliding around where where the sweet spot is in in the definition and reestablishing it okay oh, although isn't it also the case something you said they yell at you right because they're not you should know it's not really the definite here's the real but don't yeah. they also isn't there also a point of view or, or an approach that that definition like the definition of marriage may have always they're not going to claim it always included same-sex marriage but what they'll claim is that the definition of marriage has been has has not included same-sex marriage because of a power imbalance and we're going to remove that power imbalance and that's the only thing that's preventing men from marrying men to which you and i as people who are hung up on words say i'm not talking about the policy of whether or not men can have the same benefits as marriage if they marry a man as if they marry a woman like that, that's a policy discussion but you're going to tell me that it is ma marriage i mean marriage means it has an in integrative aspect to it you it, it's it, the metaphor is used all, in fact i think marriage in, in human relations might even be a metaphor from other kinds of marriage of, of combining which no that there's no there's no reason men can't be married to men you're you have to get run outside of your you know the patriarchal definition of what those words mean so that all I'm, all I'm asking is it's not always they're not claiming that oh, i guess you're no i guess that does i guess that does prove what you're saying which is that ron you were blocked off from understanding that marriage could mean anything it always could mean anything and now that we've gotten rid of our prejudices it can mean same-sex marriage well what what your statements remind me of is the need to agree on operational definitions right uh one of the questions we should be asking first and foremost and this is also one of the things that i would do in addition to explaining classical liberalism and pointing out the lack of adjectives and, and, and things like that. Uh, what we need to do is first and foremost, ask people, okay, what do you mean by diversity? You know, can you, can you define that clearly? What do you mean by equity? Can you define that clearly? You know, the, the, the definitions should be a conversation. And in fact, you know, if you're going to uh, have a conference or a panel discussion or a debate, there should be a, you know, a 20 minute preface in which you're talking about definitions, right? Let, let, let's, let's settle on what we mean by X, Y, and Z right now before we get into this so that we don't confuse each other or that you don't manipulate me and try to confuse me with your vague definitions, right? So clarifying what certain terms means is very important for people who are really trying to get to the bottom of things. I mean, certainly, in, you know, in my work, there, there, are, there are these terms of art and there are these legal definitions, legal concepts, which courts have sometimes spent hundreds of years debating what, what, the, mean, what the meanings are. Um, okay, so, so, that, so that was, so you, you mentioned a couple of things that you would do in, in your sort of approach to getting people to open themselves up intellectually to knowing you know, to, to dealing with these issues in a more productive way. One is, you know, that sort of adjectives trick. Number two is let's get our definitions, which is to some extent a variation. You know, it's, it's the flip side of the adjectives issue. Mm -hmm. What other, what other tools are there? Uh, well, I would inform them of where, you know, concepts like critical race theory come from, right? Uh, they derive from critical theory, which derives from uh, cultural Marxist thought, uh, which derives from the Frankfurt School, which was made up of a lot of people that, I don't know, for lack of a better term, enjoyed alternative ways of doing things, right? Um, that was uh, reading one person uh, last week who said that Marcuse was a 
you know, uh, he wasn't just a cultural Marxist, he was a sex Marxist. <laughs> you know, he was trying to uh, spin the uh, our ideas of sexuality, and that's I mean that, that's fine, you know. But the the what they were trying to do is create a world where their idiosyncrasies were normal, where they weren't misfits. Um, there's a there's an overlap of occult, you know, uh, uh, sentiments in the Frankfurt School. You know, um, there is a Excuse me, sorry. Uh, there's a group of people who, you know, had a verbal fascination with Lucifer, right? They, they saw Lucifer as a wonderful symbol of revolt, right? So they, they embraced that. Uh, these are- Another, you, know, you choose the word Lucifer because they, they use the word Lucifer because Lucifer yes. is the name of the, the angel whose name embodies light, yes. who rebels against God and, yes. and, and falls into hell and becomes- that the prince of that domain and then God's opposition. So that's, so that's this great metaphor for revolt because we have a, we have a right to challenge God and we're made of the same good stuff uh, as, as the other angels, but we're here to tell you the truth. Yeah. And, and, you know, they were part of being a Marxist was being an atheist as well. So there's also that. But, but, but I, yeah. does, does that move anyone anymore? What? Like, I don't even think in York, Pennsylvania, people are shocked by somebody being an atheist. No, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I'm just, uh, I'm adding a point to the Lucifer thing. That, that, yeah, that yeah. Oh, no, yeah. no. I, I, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, would, I would also point that out. Like, where, where is this coming from? Where is it derived? And not, not to make a genetic fallacy to say that, well, okay, if, if, if uh, there's an idea that somebody I don't like 20 years ago made that I don't like the idea now even though it's a good idea. I'm not saying do that, but I am saying, you know, look, look into the origins of this and who were the people who came up with these ideas and, and why, right? And you may get some interesting insights. I get, I, 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 I get that. That's, I mean, I, I think that that's already asking a lot of a lot of people because they're people, especially Americans, I think tend to be very pragmatic and interested in okay but what's the you know all right but let's whatever they were nuts fine but like i mean listen you, you, we we, we there, there are so many people who are comfortable with marxism despite what an awful person marx was you know right. uh, and, and also so little under historical understanding of what communism was, was about um is your focus seems to be based on the on the websites and on you know stuff that I've had a chance to look over. It seems to be on the on the on the, the world of academia. Um, do you do you do is, is do you anticipate or 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 see a way where this conversation spills over into the broader culture? I mean, is this part of it? Is this what we're doing? Yes. Like, Yes, yes, it, it, it has spilled over to the, uh, the broader culture. And uh, I mean, you, you have to address that. I mean, yes, the origins, you know, uh, to a large extent are academic, but that's not the case anymore. You know, it, it's, uh, it's, this stuff is not just for academia anymore. It is, uh, it is an activist uh, ideology um, and it, it's in corporate America, it's in churches. Right, Right. yes, yeah. 100%. And, and in so, fact, you mentioned corporate America. That would have been my that that would be my my next, you know my my next question. I mean, you know, we seem to have reached a point where in I I mean I guess I have seen some indication that there's been some pushback on some of the, you know, some shareholder activism and some even um, I think let's use Disney as an example of. Mm -hmm of a massive company with massive influence and which traditionally you could argue was one of the most small C conservative cultural institutions in the United States, uh, painting an unrealistic to a large extent picture of traditional mores, princes and princesses and beautiful families and, you know, not, not certainly the you know kind of this again this very traditional a, a vision 
now you know the way they folded to pressure on the florida bill was was really an extraordinary thing to see i mean it was it was just so transparent how how do you think again that it's about power and not about ideas once marxists get power over an institution and the one of my big areas one of the big areas i work in is corporate censorship uh you know cancel culture mm -hmm. so all the institutions that once stood for free speech free expression tolerance now that they have obtained control of the institutions in which those subjects were once entertained by them they're not interested in those principles anymore and then you, this is academia as well obviously For academic inquiry so i don't even have to ask the question on the uh, on the corporate level on the on, on the academic level i guess the song said this is back to my first question if 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 a if wokeness has overwhelmed an institution like my alma mater princeton where it appears that you know there's this management dean you know royalty people who are not actually typically genuine intellectuals they're academic uh administrators and you've got you know a college president who has act you know he has modified academic credentials but he's become part of part of the system they're they're either committed to racial uh, uh, critical race theory or believe that they must act in accordance with critical race theory is there anything to is, is there a conversation is there or is, is there an activist approach that can be utilized to crack to crack that once they've once the power has already been obtained yes uh and there are ways to do anti-racism without embracing critical race theory there are ways to do it without you know being relatively illiberal about it oh in other words this goes back to your point that remind them of what how we how did we get here what is what are the true liberal values well, yes, but also remind them that there are other ways of going about this. You know, you, you, you can you can uh, fix race relations without devolving into oppressor oppressed, you know, uh, and, and sticking with that like it's a, 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 a mutable or immutable characteristic of people. Right. Uh, you can do this without using intersectionality as a way of marking ethos and not as just a way of describing uh, as objectively as possible, uh, you know, certain people, right? Well, this is a, you, you, you just said something I remembered from your video about the intersectionality was something that you felt was a legitimate contribution, intellectual contribution from critical yeah. race theory. Yes. Um, can you explain to, to, to people who are listening to this, what you meant by that? Uh, because it's a fast, it's a fascinating idea because, you know, if, if you are open-minded and you do see the streams of social phenomena and over time, you could appreciate what the appeal of intersectionality would be. But I think a lot of people use the term without necessarily understanding it. Uh, well, intersectionality is a concept that basically uh, has people recognize that not that every person is more than just one thing, right? We are a an intersection of demographics. I'm black, but I'm straight, middle class, you know, uh, able-bodied, and I have those characteristics that are deemed privileged, as opposed to the more underprivileged, uh, you know, demographic characteristics uh, like you know, um, a minority race, uh, being disabled, uh, being. Uh, gay or lesbian or trans or or something like that and yes the, initially that's a great idea because okay well you're a uh, feminist let's say and i'm a feminist but you know my black feminism is going to be a little bit different from yours right so i have to do with race and misogyny right so that's 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 a that's a good concept however in other words it's, it's good it's a concept for 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 analyzing 
relationships and the geometry of, of how of how people see the world and experience the world depending on those qualities yes okay yes. but but now it's been spun by the likes of uh robin d'angelo and and other people who call themselves critical social justice uh pedagogues theorists activists whatever now it's a marker of ethos right uh, now if, if you if you have more downtrodden intersections and privileged ones you get to talk if you're if your intersections are mostly privileged, you are not allowed to talk. You have to listen, right? Um, that's why if you're male, straight, middle to upper class, able-bodied, then you have to shut up and listen, right? Even if you have a question or a good point uh, to make. So th and, th this privilege and under or un is it underprivileged or unprivileged? Either. Are the uh, is that um concept that comes out of inter intersectionality that that's that's where we is that where that's born well i mean that comes out of you know uh, an analogy to bourgeois proletariat right oppressor okay. oppressed that's that's just another variation of that dichotomy um, the so and, and that's applied to uh, intersectionality in ways that you know mark ethos. Who has the credibility to talk, and who doesn't? Oh, I, I mean, and, and this was something when I was in college, when I first heard, you know experienced this idea that men were not entitled to have opinions on topics that were only relevant to women, and it, it was it was an astonishing proposition to me. I'm not. It was. It was honored far more in the breach than in the observance, of course, but the idea that that would be a way to stop a conversation, and you see it all the time in social media. Yeah. So that in and of itself is a true, if you, I mean, if you can get across that, I, all right, so, so you're telling me that that's how it's been spun, but in fact, that's not the legitimate application of this relatively, of what can be a fairly value neutral analytical framework. Yes, yes. How about your students? Um, first of all, is there a difference between your students and the students at York? I mean, I asked this question to, to, to Robert George. You said, yeah, you know, I have to admit most of the people who take my courses know what I'm about. So they're not necessarily typical of, of, of what the thinking is on, on campus. Are you reaching people beyond those who are already inclined to hear what you have to say? Um, I don't really know you know if i'm doing that um I, I'm, I'm sure some of my students know what i'm about i'm not sure if everybody else does nobody talks about it at your college interesting uh, of pa yeah it, it's it's nobody brings up what i'm doing you know at heterodox free black thought fair and, and things like that it's just uh you know we we teach the uh subject matter we leave so i don't i don't i don't really know uh, okay, fair enough. Fair enough. Um, you know, I believe it or not, we've used up a, a, quite a bit of your time, and I really appreciate it. Is there, is there anything you think? Uh, you know, I, I briefly I flashed on the screen the heterodoxy website and the Black Thought website. Uh, I asked you, well, I, I approached the Black Thought Free Black Thought web, um, account on Twitter, saying, "Hey, can you send me someone to have this discussion?" And they knew exactly who to send me, obviously. Um, I, I mean, I, I want to recommend to people who are listening to follow these accounts also, uh, because they're, I, I, you know, you know, that feeling you get, this might not be so much for you, because I think you have a disciplined life and don't spend as much time on Twitter as some of us, but you find an account and realize, oh, gosh, I can't retweet everything on this page, but it, how have I, how have I been missing all this? There's a lot of really good stuff on here and you've got some really interesting thinkers. Um, are you, are you, are you confident that you can have, that you and the people you're working with on these projects can shift the conversation back to something a little bit less emotional and a little bit less uh, moralistic? Um, I think we have a shot. Yeah. Um, and we're, we're, we're growing, you know, we, we have all kinds of plans, uh, you know, podcasts, we've already, you know, co-sponsored events and things like that. 
And, um, you know, we're, we're, we're growing uh, in, you know, uh, some help and, and things like that. We, we just acquired an intern who's brilliant, right? Um, and, you know, and, and grant funding, I mean, onward and upward. So, you know, I, I'm, I'm pretty confident in it. Thank you very much for this introduction to what you guys are doing and to the just the, the building blocks, the intellectual building blocks of, of what of, of what this is about. There is definitely a lot out there for people who are as intrigued as I am by Eric Smith. Um, people want to, you know, the good thing about you is that you've got this very distinctively spelled first name. So if it were Eric Smith spelled with an I, You'd be might be like Ronald Coleman, hard, very easy to find Google results, but not necessarily the one you're looking for. Yeah. Where are you from? Um, New Jersey. Oh, that's right. You're from Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's right. That's right. Where'd you go to high school? Rancocas Valley Regional High School in Mount Holly, New Jersey. Mount Holly. That's right. Yeah, that's nice country down there. You're right. New York, North Jersey, and South Jersey are really different states, and they have been for a very, very long time. Yeah. I remember hearing that. People during the Civil War, there was even a perception that the gentleman farmers of South Jersey were sympathetic to the South, mm -hmm. and the more urbanized, um, you know, northern. I mean, we say urbanized, you know, I, nothing like what it means today. But that you know, the, the far more settled northern New Jersey uh, was thought of itself as a New England uh, kind of kind of place, and that split has. We have the same. We have that political split now too. There's basically there's Republican New Jersey and Democratic New Jersey. There was before I even knew the information you just said about the uh, South Jersey sympathizers with the uh, Confederacy. I I would tell people the Mason-Dixon line runs through Trenton. Yeah, exactly. That's, Trenton. That's where, yeah, that's right. And they and and Princeton was below it. Yeah. The, it was known as it was known as, as basically as as a, the the most southern of the Ivies. Yeah. Well, again, I thank you very much. I hope we can uh, uh, chat again. And I'm going to be looking out for the kinds of, you know, for, for your conferences and stuff. And you let non-professors in. I'm going to try to sneak in and, 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 and catch a little bit of it. You got it. I appreciate it. No problem. Thank you very much. Okay. Good meeting you. Hey, thank you for listening to the Coleman Nation podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. For more information, please visit the show's website at coleman-nation.com. That's coleman-nation.com. Or you can visit my blog at likelihoodofconfusion.com. Join us next time on the Coleman Nation podcast and have a great day.